Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, Tommy Hernandez, Diane Durbin, Tattooed Fox, Madeline Walters, Susan Giaggio, Susan Fonten, and Sean Young. We couldn't do this without you. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show, or whatever else is on your mind. This month, we've been sharing photos of churches that are definitely haunted, and talking about spooky books that we'll be reading in the new year. If you want in on the fun, join the Patreon and dive in. You'll also have access to bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. In other Patreon news, beginning in January, our patrons will be getting a second story each month. These are going to be a little different. Starting out, they won't be fully produced or scored, but as you guys have been sending in submissions, we've gotten a lot of great stories that don't exactly fit our regular format, but that we're dying to share with you anyway. They'll be coming in late in the month, about midway between regular releases. So if you want more 13, just not on the 13th, sign up, and we can't wait to see you there. Speaking of the 13th, we've seen the numbers, and episodes that release on a weekend or a holiday just don't get the listens that we see with our weekday releases. We want to release episodes when it's convenient for you to listen. So going forward, on months when the 13th falls on a weekend, we'll be releasing the following Monday. One of those months is February, so we wanted to go ahead and give you a heads up now. This month, we're joined by Zach Labresco. You've heard Zach on Wolf 359 and on other shows, and we're excited to have him with us. So with that, on with the show. I started working at the moving company when I was at a low point in my life. I'd just gotten out of a long, unhappy relationship. The kind that you keep trying to save, even though there isn't anything left. I was exhausted, and it wasn't just the breakup. I was exhausted with everything. I was turning 30 soon, and I felt like I should be more put together than I was. Like I should be further along, I guess. I've always been a restless person. And just like so many times before, I decided that it was time for a change. I got a new job. Something completely different than anything I'd ever done before. I started driving a truck for a moving company. When I was job hunting... I was surprised by how well it paid. Benefits after three months? It sounded really good. I wasn't the strongest person in the world, so the idea of lifting heavy furniture all day gave me a little pause. But I wasn't out of shape either. I was sure I'd get the hang of it. It turns out, the reason they offer benefits after three months is because almost no one makes it that long. There was a lot of turnover. People would come on thinking that they were cut out for the job, and they just weren't. And they'd stop showing up after a week or two. Even for people who were already in good shape, people that lift and work out, it requires a completely different kind of strength. The job is physically punishing. And if it weren't for the fact that I was older than most of my coworkers, that I couldn't afford to quit a job that soon. I might have called it quits earlier too. Those first two weeks, I was sore in a way that I'd never been before. I'd wake up feeling like I hadn't slept at all. I was taking ibuprofen around the clock just to be able to function. But before long, it became tolerable. The soreness never really went away but it became like background noise. I was hired on with five people, and after six weeks, only two of us were left. It wasn't all bad, though. There were parts of the job that I really liked, 
The job didn't stress you out, and you didn't lose sleep over it. When you took that last box or piece of furniture inside at the end of the night, the job was done, and you never had to think of it again. Three months came and went, and my benefits kicked in, and at six months, I had a 401k. I'd built up a ton of strength, and I felt different. I felt good. I was one of the senior guys on the crew now, and that meant that I was one of the few people who got to do long-distance moves. That's where the real money was, because you got paid by the size of the load and by the mile. By the end of my first year, I'd driven that truck all over the eastern U.S. Also in the last year, I'd met someone new, and we were starting to feel pretty serious. I'd paid down a lot of my debt, and even though I'd really come to like this job, the hours could be unpredictable. I was starting to think it was time for me to move on to something more stable, something where I could count on being home at a certain time. So that's where my head was when my boss told me he had a long-distance move for me. This one to Central Florida, just outside Orlando. It was a big house too, which meant it would be a full truck. A heavy load and a long drive meant a big payday. I didn't know it at the time, but this was going to be my last job for the company. The night before we left, I packed up. I leave for work before my girlfriend gets up. So we said our goodbyes the night before. I left a note on the table, and I stepped out into the dark pre-dawn morning. I get to the lot early and start my daily vehicle inspection. It's just a quick once-over of the truck to make sure it's in good working condition and safe for the road. Tire pressure, a look under the hood, fluid levels, and turn signals. I go in early on days when I'm leaving for long-haul jobs because drivers have certain rules about how long you're allowed to work and how much of that time can be actual drive time versus load and unload time. If I do the inspection off the clock, it gives me a little more time to make some extra distance. Now that's not actually in keeping with the spirit of the law, but it's what we did. Each truck had a two-person crew. My partner was Kyle. He got to the lot a few minutes after me, and while I was checking under the hood, he jumped in the back to make sure we had all the gear we needed. There's nothing like realizing you don't have enough straps when you're 800 miles from your terminal. Me and Kyle were partnered up almost every day, whether it was a local job or a long haul. We were really different people. We probably wouldn't get along anywhere else. We definitely never hung out outside of work. Completely different people, completely different interests. But we worked well together. After we were cleared for departure, we got on the road and started toward the customer's address. When we got to the load site, it was just as expected. A big house, but the customer was organized and we got right to work. It was a nice family and they bought us lunch. And a few hours later, we were completely loaded up. We did a final walkthrough of the house with the customer just to make sure we didn't miss a room or leave anything behind. We confirmed the new address and double-checked the customer's contact information just in case there was a holdup. And then we were on the road a couple hours ahead of schedule. Since these weren't hourly jobs, but paid out by miles and load weight, the goal is always to get done as fast as you can. After all, you make the same amount of money whether it takes you four days or six days. Like I mentioned before, we have to follow the same drive time restrictions as long haul truck drivers. You have a maximum of 14 consecutive hours on the job. That includes breaks, meals, bathroom stops, everything. So if you start at 7 in the morning, no matter what happens during the day, 
you have to be parked by 9 p.m. And then you have to stay off the road for 10 hours to rest. It's called a reset. If our luck held, we could make it to Atlanta by reset. We were looking forward to going south, getting out of that bitter cold for at least a couple days. On the road, Kyle put in headphones in the passenger seat, and I played whatever I wanted over the cab speakers. Night was falling as we crossed the Tennessee border, winding up Jellicoe Mountain. We slowed down and put on the hazards as we rose into the low clouds hugging the summit. Then, it was I-40 through Knoxville and 75 south to Chattanooga. We crossed the Georgia state line with an hour and a half left until reset. Plenty of time to get to the Atlanta metro. GPS showed a wide open road with no delays. Kyle called our terminal and gave them our mile marker. And a few minutes later, they called back with an address. A hotel reservation set up in Marietta, Georgia, in the North Atlanta metro. Kyle put it in the GPS and started looking around the area. There were a few restaurants in walking distance. And we were content with the thought of food and a bed a couple hours up the road. The diesel gauge was showing a little over half a tank, more than enough to make it to the hotel. I considered whether to stop and fuel up before we got to the metro, but we had enough to get out of Atlanta tomorrow. With our hotel reservations arranged, Kyle sat back and started swiping on his phone. He had a couple different dating apps open. He'd already manually reset his location to Marietta, Georgia. He did this on most of our long hauls. The company pays for one hotel room for the both of us, but this isn't college. If you want to meet up with someone on the road, you need to pay for your own hotel room. This is another reason I liked working with Kyle. Since he did this on almost every overnight job, it usually meant that I got a room to myself. But it was a little more complicated than that. Kyle had a girlfriend back home, just like me. And while I don't know what their relationship is like, I don't get the impression that she knows about this. Mostly because he has to re-download the apps every time we get on the road. And he makes it so his profile is invisible until we're out of range from our city. It was one more reason that me and Kyle wouldn't be friends outside of work. We were just different people. Within a few minutes, he was talking to a couple different girls. My eyes were on the road. The dark night of North Georgia. In another hour, I-75 became a steady stream of small towns, all bumping up against each other. The dark sky turning bright with suburban streetlights and highway signs. The highway adding a new lane every few miles until it had gone from two in each direction to five. Traffic was picking up too. And with about 20 minutes to spare, we got off at our exit and made it to our hotel. We found a stretch of empty parking spots and pulled the truck in. Kyle went around back to check and make sure nothing had turned over during the drive. After we checked in, Kyle went ahead and got his own room, anticipating that it would work out with one of the two girls he was talking to. I went up to my room, the one the company paid for, and took a shower. I was on the second floor, and my window looked out over an endless expanse of fast food gas stations, and other hotels. Based on the view, I could have been just outside of any major city, and it would have looked the same. I had looked out of a lot of windows just like this one. The sameness of it. A kind of placelessness. It had me thinking about where I belonged, and thinking again about making a change. I'd stuck it out at this job for a while, it wouldn't look that bad on a resume to make a change now. Things were a lot different than they were when I started. My girlfriend and I were getting serious, 
and I was getting older. The idea of the open road was appealing, but I'd done that now. I was in the best shape of my life, but I could keep that up with a gym membership. Maybe this job had run its course. My girlfriend and I had a little tradition when I was out of town. We sent each other pictures of the sunset, hers from back home and mine from wherever I was. And then sometimes I wrote a letter home, even if I wasn't going to be gone long enough for the letter to make it back before I did. That one wasn't so much a tradition as something I did because I missed her. My phone vibrated. It was Kyle asking what time we'd need to meet in the lobby. He'd struck out on the dating app, but he'd paid for the room, so he might as well use it. Reset was over at 8 a.m., so we'd get on the road then. I ordered food, and it came while I was looking out that window at that endless suburban landscape, riding my girlfriend and thinking about all the routes I could take to come home to her. The next morning, we met in the lobby and packed up some hotel breakfast to go. Kyle got into the back of the truck to check the load while I did my morning inspection. A few minutes later, we were pulling out of the hotel parking lot and heading toward the interstate. We should be in Orlando by dark. We may even be able to unload the first of it tonight. And that meant we could finish up early tomorrow and make some ground on the way home. Ordinarily, we would take the freeway loop around the city, but GPS showed a major delay. Instead, it routed us straight down I-75, right into Atlanta. We were getting started a little before the morning rush, and traffic barely slowed down as the first peaks of the tallest high-rises appeared in front of us. Up ahead, a truck carrying construction equipment swerved to miss something in the road. When it did, some of its loads slipped out of place and fell off the back of the truck. I barely saw it in time to react. I checked my mirrors. I was boxed in by other vehicles. I was going to have to go over it. I braced myself and held the wheel as we thudded and rumbled over several pieces of debris in the road. I heard them clanging around under the body of the truck. I managed to maintain control as we cleared it. The fuck was that? My teeth were gritted, and I was wide-knuckling the steering wheel. We seemed to be fine. I didn't feel any tires rumbling, and I couldn't hear anything dragging under the truck. I let out the breath I'd been holding. I took a couple more deep breaths and told Kyle what happened. Should we get over and check it out? I looked at our options and the traffic around us. If we got over here, right in the middle of the city, it'd be almost impossible for a truck our size to get back on. But... Even as I was thinking it through and looking for a good straight patch, the fuel light came on, and then the check engine light. We should have had a little under half a tank, but it was reading empty. We were losing diesel. We put on the hazards and got over to the shoulder. Kyle got out and put down our emergency triangles. He called the terminal to tell them what happened and I started looking for diesel mechanics with a roadside unit. Something had either punctured the diesel tank or the fuel line had been ripped out. If we were lucky, it would be the fuel line and they should be able to replace it here on the side of the road. If it was the tank, well, if it was the tank, we'd be spending another night in Atlanta. We had to wait a couple hours but when they finally came, they found a torn fuel line and replaced it. They gave us a few gallons of diesel and told us where to find the nearest spot to fuel up. By the time we were back on the road, we were four hours behind schedule. 
Our luck continued to go downhill. A slowdown outside of Macon kept us at a standstill for another hour. Below Macon, it's a long stretch of increasingly flat, sparse, open country. And even though we were finally moving, the day was mostly a waste. We weren't going to make it to Orlando tonight. Not even close. The mood in the truck turned sour. Neither of us felt like talking. We weren't irritated with each other, just the situation. As we got closer to reset, Kyle started looking ahead on the map to find out where we'd stop for the night. The thing is, we probably could have made it another hour down the road. But that stretch of North Florida is empty. We'd have to stop early or risk going over our drive time limit to get to the next town with the hotel. The last town on the map, big enough to have decent hotels and decent food, Valdosta, Georgia, just above the Florida state line. We were still an hour and a half away, and now that we knew where we'd be ending up for the night, Kyle had started browsing profiles on the dating apps, determined not to strike out tonight like he had in Atlanta. The further south we went, the more distance there was between towns. The landscape became flatter. The sun was falling toward the horizon behind us, and the sky ahead was a deep, heavy blue, growing darker every minute. I felt myself getting restless behind the wheel, shifting my weight every few minutes, trying to get comfortable. It had been a long day, and a lot had gone wrong, and I was ready to be out of this truck. Over in the passenger seat, Kyle had already matched with someone. Our hotel was just off the second exit in Valdosta. There were palm trees. I didn't expect there to be palm trees in Georgia. I guess it made sense, being that we were only a few minutes from the Florida state line. We parked the truck and checked into the room, and Kyle went ahead and paid for his own room. We got on the elevator, and I got off on my floor while he continued upstairs. Hey, wish me luck. I settled into my room, took a shower, got dressed, and then opened the curtains. A view of the only other hotel at this exit, a few fast food places, and a cluster of buildings on the other side of the interstate. As I started looking for food nearby, I got a text from Kyle. So this girl wants to bring a friend along to make sure I'm safe. You want to tag along? Maybe keep her occupied? I wrote back that he'd be fine without me. I was tired, it had been a shitty day, and we had a long day ahead of us tomorrow. Just an hour, I promise. You'll be back by 10. He sent a photo of what I assumed to be the two girls he'd be meeting. They were both cute, but I wasn't interested. I wanted to tell him that she'd just stick around until her friend was comfortable. That he'd survive making small talk for an hour. That I didn't feel good about helping him cheat on his girlfriend. And then my phone buzzed again. I'll give you my half of the tip. Now that got my attention. I don't know if you know this or not, but you should tip your movers. It's a big part of how we get paid, and long hauls usually tipped really well. 50 or even $100 per person. I texted back and told him it was a deal. We were meeting at a little diner on the other side of the interstate. Easy walking distance from the hotel. It was close to 50 degrees in January. We were used to temperatures staying below freezing for these deep winter months. I didn't mind the walk, honestly. And hanging out for 30 minutes or an hour wasn't a bad trade for the money. And it was also nice to walk around after so many hours in the truck. Sitting on the side of the road in Atlanta, 
and then sitting in traffic outside of Macon. We crossed over the bridge spanning I-75. I was feeling a little underdressed. Kyle had packed up like he was planning to meet someone. Good jeans, a nice shirt, nothing too fancy. But I had packed for comfort, sitting in a truck, hanging around the hotel room. I felt a little self-conscious, even though I wasn't trying to impress these girls. The diner was half full when we arrived. It only took a moment for us to scan the room and find them. They looked just like they did in their photo. Same clothes and everything. We introduced ourselves and sat down across from them. The girl Kyle was here to meet was Emily, and her friend was Savannah, but went by Desi, her middle name. Kyle and Emily started ignoring us right away, so me and Desi just started talking about the drive here, about her job, and mine. We both played our parts as wingmen perfectly, and it wasn't as uncomfortable or awkward as I had been expecting it to be. I was actually enjoying myself. After dinner, we went out into the parking lot. Emily and Desi came in separate cars, and we leaned against them while we talked. Kyle asked what people do for fun in Valdosta, and they gave the usual small-town answers. What's your favorite thing to do, Kyle asked. Emily turned to Desi with a conspiratorial look. Should we tell them about Harvest Town? Kyle and I both answered, almost in unison. What's Harvest Town? Maybe it was being on the edge of town. The full moon. The long, flat horizon and empty land past the lights from the city. It gave the night an air of mystery. Emily started telling us a story. Harvest Town was an old ghost town about ten minutes from Valdosta. It's been empty since the 30s. A collection of houses, a few old storefronts, and an old hotel. There's nothing to do after everything in town closes, so we like to go out there and just hang out, maybe tell ghost stories. Kyle gave me a look. I tried to give him a subtle shake of the head. We had a long day tomorrow. But before I could, Desi spoke up. You all want to go see it? I decided not to put up a fight. Another hour or so wouldn't kill me. Besides, how often do you get to go see a ghost town? Most of the drive was a long, straight stretch of county road. At some point, we turned off onto a stretch of, well, not gravel road, but a road that had gone unmaintained for so long that the asphalt had come apart and worn down to the point that it might as well have been gravel. We wound around the bends and curves in the road. Emily drove, and Kyle was in the front seat. Me and Desi were in the back. After a few minutes on the road, we rounded a long bend, and when we straightened out, just in front of us, in the headlights, we could see it. A cluster of small buildings, mostly collapsed under the weight of time and gravity. There, in the center of it all, a big imposing structure, the old hotel. It was just a short walk from the end of the road to the cluster of old buildings. As we got closer, we got a better look at the place. There were more houses than I first thought, but some of them were just a single wall slouching over an ancient foundation. But of course, the main thing that drew our attention was the big hotel in the center. Just as we got close, Emily stopped us. Wait, she said. There's something you have to do before you cross into Harvest Town. She knelt down and picked up a stick, and then she drew four circles side by side in the dirt. It lets the ghosts know that you don't mean any harm, she said. 
one for each of us, so they know we're friendly. Kyle gave me a playful eye roll. Just then, Emily grabbed his hand, and he followed her down a row of collapsed houses. Desi and I looked at each other for an awkward moment, and then she offered to give me a tour of the place. We walked around for a few minutes. Everything mostly looked the same. And then we circled back to the hotel. It was a long, rectangular building. The paint chipped down to bare wood. It looked like every single window was broken and covered with some kind of plastic, shredded and blowing in the gentle breeze. There was a wide entryway on the side of the building. It looked like there would have been big, fancy double doors here sometime in the distant past. But now, it was just open and exposed to the outside. Even though the first floor was littered with beer bottles, cigarette butts, and the leftovers of who knows how many teenage parties, you could tell that this used to be a nice place. A big, open lobby, what was left of a bar against the far wall, and a big, wide staircase up to the second floor. Our footsteps creaked up to the top of the stairs, and except for the load-bearing beams, most of the walls had fallen down. You could see into every room. We walked the length of the second floor, and at the end there was another stairwell. This one, not as grand as the last one, leading up to the third floor. I followed Desi to the top, and when we came out on the third floor, It was the most amazing thing. There was no roof. We were looking straight up at the full moon and a sky full of stars. Desi crouched down and sat on the floor, her back against a wall. I sat down far enough away to not make it awkward. I don't know what Desi wanted, but I was getting the feeling that she was open to more than just being a wingman. I hadn't mentioned my girlfriend back home yet. I should have, but I didn't. She asked me if I had a place like this back home. I told her I didn't. So what's the ghost story? I asked. She looked at me confused. Emily said that we drew circles in the dirt so that the ghosts would know that we're friendly. Something clicked, and Desi made a look of recognition. It's actually pretty boring, she said. The story is that the ghosts out here lure people to Harvest Town, that you can only see them if they want you to, that they're just lonely and looking for some company. But if you stay long enough, you get stuck. Are we going to get stuck? I asked. No, she said. But do you want to hear a real ghost story? I told her I did. That's when she told me that she wasn't originally from Valdosta. She grew up on the coast, just inland from a tourist island. There was a town legend where she grew up, about people going missing and walking into the water. Different generations blamed it on different things. A siren, mermaids, a demon. But her generation... They called them the Island Witches. Every few years, there'd be a few kids in town who just got a little weird. It would happen to all of them at the same time. Different kids, different social groups, spread out all over town. They'd just start spacing out in the middle of the day and sleepwalking at night. It would look like normal kid stuff at first. Sleepwalking usually starts around that age, and kids sometimes just get in their heads, nothing that a parent would really worry about. But it would get worse and worse for all of them. And then, sooner or later, in the dead of night, one of these kids would mysteriously get up, walk right out of their house, and disappear forever. 
and afterward, all the other kids went back to normal. No more sleepwalking, no more spacing out in the middle of the day. Every few years that would happen, and none of those kids that went missing were ever found. So what happened to them, I asked. She gave me a mischievous grin. There's a theory, she said. People around town think that someone draws them out to the water. They possess them, and once it has them under their control, it makes them walk right out into the ocean, never to be seen again. I didn't have any ghost stories to match that one, so we just made small talk for a little while, looking up into the night sky. And then we heard Kyle and Emily shouting to us from outside. Come on, Desi said. I want to show you one more thing before we go. We descended the stairs back into the hotel, and outside we found Emily and Kyle. We all followed Desi to the edge of Harvest Town. There was an old foundation for a house, and in the middle of the floor, there was a square hole in the ground. There were hinges where some kind of cover had once been. A cellar hatch. What's down there? Desi said she didn't know. She gave Emily a look. I've never been down there, she said. Emily turned to Kyle with a mischievous look. Want to go exploring? I caught Desi glancing my way with that same mischief in her eyes. If this was some kind of fantasy for Emily, she'd seriously miscalculated with Kyle. If there's anything I know from working with him, it's that he hates dark, cramped spaces. Anytime we have a basement or a crawl space, even a room under the stairs, that ends up being my job. Kyle just can't do it. The girls gave each other a coy look, something unspoken between them. An unmistakable look. Yep, that was exactly the plan. Kyle gave me a look, and I could tell he was thinking about it. But I already knew, maybe even before he did, that he wasn't going to do it. I put on the flashlight on my phone and shined it down into the cellar hatch. It was just darkness. There was dust lingering in the air in the opening, but the light didn't seem to make it all the way to the bottom. Starting to feel a little uncomfortable, I spoke up. I said that we had an early morning and a long drive. On the way back into town, Desi's arm was resting on the center console in the back seat. I had a feeling that if I put my arm up next to hers, they'd start to graze against each other, and neither of us would pull away. And then our fingers would touch. And then, a predictable chain of events would lead to an outcome that I couldn't allow. I kept my arm on my side of the back seat. We pulled back up to the diner where Desi's car was parked. Emily asked if we wanted to go to a liquor store before going back to the hotel. Kyle was down to go get something to drink, but I was ready to call it a night, and Desi said she was too. We got out at the diner, and Kyle and Emily drove off to find a liquor store. They offered to take me back to the hotel, but it was only a couple minutes' walk, and I didn't mind. When they drove away, Desi lingered for a moment outside her car. Are you sure you don't want some company? She asked. I told her that I had a girlfriend back home, that I should have mentioned it earlier, and I was sorry if I gave her the wrong idea. She must be a lucky girl, Desi said. But after tonight, I wasn't so sure that she was lucky. We said goodnight, and Desi drove away while I started walking. Relieved that I hadn't made a mistake, 
that I couldn't take back. Back in my hotel room, I texted Kyle. We need to meet in the lobby at 7 a.m. The clock by the bed said that it was 1.30 in the morning. I was going to be dead on my feet tomorrow. I turned out the light and went to bed. I woke up to the sound of movement. It took a second for me to register that it wasn't in the hallway. It was in my room. I was all of a sudden completely awake. I grabbed my phone and shined the light out into the room. And that's when I saw Kyle, staggering around the room. I took a deep, relieved breath and asked what he was doing. He reacted to my voice by stopping and looking over at me, but he didn't say anything. He just stared. I asked if he was okay, but he just kept staring. His eyes were open. I'd heard about this. People will sleepwalk with their eyes open. They'll look as though they're completely alert, but they're not. Had he gotten our rooms mixed up? How did he have a key? The last thing I remembered, he and Emily had gone looking for a liquor store. Did he get blackout drunk the night before we had to unload an entire truck? I was getting irritated just thinking about how I'd have to pick up the slack tomorrow. I gestured to the other bed in the room and told him to lay down and sleep it off. He just kept staring at me. It occurred to me that if he were sleepwalking, I might have been making it worse by talking to him. So I rolled over and tried to ignore him. I kept my senses on alert, though. After a few seconds, I heard him shuffle around some more. I rolled back over and watched the outline of his figure staggering across the room. Finally, he found the bed and laid down. I didn't hear anything else for several minutes, and soon enough, I fell back to sleep. I woke up the next morning to the alarm on my phone going off. I could already tell that I was going to be miserably tired. It took a moment for me to remember that Kyle had been in the room. I rolled over to see if he was up, but he wasn't in the other bed. The bed didn't even look slept in. He must have gotten up in the night and gone back to his own room. I took a quick shower, got dressed, and went down to the lobby by seven. I looked around and I didn't see Kyle, but that didn't surprise me. I sent him a text to see if he was up, and then I got in line to get breakfast. After a few minutes with no answer, I tried calling. Nothing. It occurred to me that I didn't know which room he was in, and he probably didn't get more than a couple hours of sleep. If he'd forgotten to set his alarm, he could sleep until noon or later. I tried calling again, but there was nothing. I went to the front desk and asked if they could tell me which room was his. I already knew the answer, but I had to try. Even though they couldn't tell me which room it was, they offered to call him on the room phone. No answer. After trying his cell phone a few more times, I asked them if they'd be able to check on the room to see if he was in there. They couldn't just go in someone's room, but checkout was 10 a.m., and if he hadn't come down by then, they could go in the room once he'd overstayed. We couldn't wait until 10 a.m. We were supposed to be in Orlando by then. I called the terminal to talk to my manager and figure out what I should do next. 10 a.m. came, and they opened up the room. All of his things were still there, but he wasn't. Maybe he'd gone back to Emily's place and stayed the night there, but I had a bad feeling. 
I called my manager again and I was put on hold. When he came back on, the owner of the company was on with him. I told them the story again, and they told me to call the police and file a missing persons claim. So I did. I told the police everything that happened since we arrived in Valdosta. I didn't have much to tell them about Emily and Desi. Just a physical description, and that Desi's real name was Savannah. I realized then that I didn't have an emergency contact for Kyle. No way to get in touch with his girlfriend or his parents to see if they'd heard from him. It occurred to me then that his girlfriend was definitely going to find out about him sleeping around if the police were calling to check on him. If they told her what he'd been doing when he went missing. A wave of guilt came over me. Not for getting Kyle caught, but for my part in helping him do it. I gave the police my info since I didn't know who to tell them to call if they found anything. And that was it. But while I was talking to them about the events of the night before, something strange happened. When I told them we'd gone to Harvest Town, neither of the officers had any idea what I was talking about. After the report was filed, there was no reason for me to stick around. I called the customer and told them that I was finally on my way to Orlando. It was almost noon, and I wouldn't arrive until 3 p.m. All the way there, I was obsessively checking my phone, waiting for a text or a call from him, apologizing. At least I would know that he was okay. When I arrived at the customer's new house, they were surprisingly understanding. I was a day and a half late, and I had all of their furniture, including their beds, in the back of this truck. But all they wanted to talk about was Kyle. Since I didn't have a partner to help me unload, the entire family pitched in. The kids took boxes, and me and their dad got the heavy stuff. It didn't take very long with so many people helping to unload. By 6 p.m., I was back on the road. Not long after I left, as the sun was going down, dark clouds and lightning were on the horizon. It rained through most of North Florida, and I still hadn't heard from Kyle. Even if he had just ducked out, quit the job and decided to stay in Valdosta for a while, he would have told me. Like I said before, we would never be friends outside of work, but he would tell me if he just decided to stick around with Emily. He wouldn't just disappear. When I passed Lake City, the rain was tapering off and the highway emptied out. I never get used to this stretch of road. It's so flat and so empty. It feels otherworldly. I didn't start driving until noon today. With the amount of drive time I still had left, I could get well into central Georgia before stopping for the night. But when I started seeing signs for Valdosta, I called the terminal and I told them that that's where I'd be stopping for the night. I didn't ask. I told them. My manager got on the phone with me and told me that was fine as long as I followed up with the police to see if they'd found anything. They set me up with the same hotel as the night before. And when I arrived, the same employee that checked me in last night was working the front desk. She recognized me, and she'd heard what happened to Kyle. I asked if there had been any sign of him, and she said there hadn't. She checked me in, and I went upstairs. I took a shower and changed out of my work clothes. When I got out of the shower, I had a missed call and a voicemail from a detective with the Valdosta police. He was following up about Kyle. I called him back, and he told me there was a problem with my story about Kyle coming back into the hotel room. He said they looked over the surveillance footage from every angle, on every entrance. And one thing was sure. Kyle had never come back to the hotel. 
The detective told me that they were going to keep looking into it, but frankly, they didn't have much to go on. As far as they were concerned, Kyle had willingly left with a girl that he'd intended to meet up with. And as far as Emily and Desi were concerned, all they had to go on were two first names, and two first names that were pretty common at that. None of this made sense. After getting off the phone, I paced around the room, but I was too restless to stay here. I took the stairs down to the back exit. I didn't have a destination in mind. I just needed to move around. I started looking for Emily and Desi on social media, but found nothing. I downloaded the app that Kyle had met Emily on and started swiping. It was quiet outside the hotel. The pavement was still wet, and the air was humid from the storm that passed through earlier. It was Sunday night, 9 p.m. Not that late, but the town felt dead. I walked out into that main road leading from the interstate. To my right, the outskirts of town. Fast food, big box shopping centers, gas stations. To my left, the interstate, the diner, and a small cluster of highway businesses across the bridge. A dark sky beyond them. I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I walked right out into that main road. Two lanes in each direction and a turning lane down the middle. There were no cars in sight. Above me, high, dark, ominous clouds. Below them, fast-moving ones, catching the light from town. I stood there for a long time until I saw someone pull off the interstate. I moved to the sidewalk and crossed the bridge over I-75. Just the occasional lonely truck passing below. On the other side of the bridge, the diner was closed. Lights off and parking lot empty. I looked at the space where Emily had parked the night before, where Desi had left her car and where she'd asked me if I'd wanted some company for the night, where Kyle and Emily had pulled away, the last time I'd seen them. I walked back to the hotel and texted my girlfriend. I still hadn't told her what had happened, but when I did... She called back instead of texting, and we talked for a long time. I told her everything, and I told her that I had no idea what to do. She told me to get some sleep, and then to come home to her. I had a hard time falling asleep that night. Every time I came close to dozing off, I was overcome with the feeling that I was being watched, that I wasn't alone in the room. I felt like I was being watched from the window, even though I was on the third floor. I got up once to look, just to make sure, but of course, there was nothing out there. The low clouds lit up by the streetlights, skimming across the night sky, my truck down below in the lot. I kept rolling over in bed and looking out that window, like I expected someone to be there. I needed to get out of this town. Hey, rise and shine, partner. I startled awake at the sound of that voice. Was that Kyle? Come on, man, we've got a long day ahead of us. I want to unload this as fast as possible. I stared in disbelief. What are you doing here? I asked. I didn't see you in the lobby. I came to make sure you were up. I grabbed my phone. It was 7.20 a.m. Yesterday morning. Dude, I'm packing your stuff up for you because we're late. Let's get moving. I sat up and put my feet on the floor. Here, get dressed. I went to the bathroom, and while I was there, I checked my phone again. 
I wasn't just seeing things. Right there on the lock screen, yesterday's date, when we were supposed to leave first thing in the morning to unload in Orlando. The morning after Emily and Desi had taken us to Harvest Town. Had I dreamed the entire thing up? When I came back out of the bathroom, Kyle was waiting by the door with my things. All right, we're ready. Let's go. Outside, the sun was bright. I had to shield my eyes. Everything felt off, and I can't explain it. It was just a mental fog. Not just confusion, not just grogginess. There was an intense feeling of wrongness. Almost a physical sensation. I got into the driver's seat, and Kyle climbed up in the passenger seat as I started the truck. He said that we needed to make a stop on our way out of town, and I asked where we were going. Just gotta drop something off to Emily and Desi. I said okay, just going along with it. It was still early, and I'd only been awake for about 20 minutes. Where does she live? I asked. Middle of nowhere. You'll see. We left Valdosta, but instead of turning south onto I-75, we kept going straight on the local roads. Out of town. The mental fog from just waking up was starting to fade away. He'd rushed me out of the room so fast. I've only been awake for a few minutes. This all had to be a really vivid dream. We were out late. Desi had been telling me ghost stories, and my imagination had gotten carried away. I'd had to have dreamed it all up. Kyle going missing, unloading in Orlando. Nothing else could explain it. We were getting pretty far from the interstate, and I asked how much further we had to go. Kyle didn't say anything. I was getting a bad feeling again. He pointed toward a little side road, and I took the turn, slow and wide. That's when I remembered something. My drive time regulations. I have to record those hours every day in my logbook. And that book was resting wide open on the dash. I could see the reflection of my logbook in the windshield, and the date of the last entry. I hadn't dreamed it. I had already been to Orlando. I was looking at the hours right in front of me. That wasn't Kyle in the seat next to me. I turned my head expecting to see something awful. Some horrible abomination in the vague shape of my partner. A too wide smile. A look of malice and evil but I turned my head and he was just gone. The passenger seat was empty. Up ahead, I could see the very top of an old wooden building. The roof was missing. It was the Harvest Town Inn. It didn't look as magical and adventurous as it had a couple nights ago. In the clear light of day, It was worn down. It looked like it could fall under its own weight any minute. My phone buzzed on the dash and I picked it up. A notification on the dating app that Kyle had used. The one where I'd signed up trying to find Emily's profile. I opened it up and there was a familiar photo. It was Desi. Hey you, I thought you'd left town. I didn't know what to do. Should I respond? Before I could decide, another message came through. Are you here yet? Kyle needs your help. He's trapped in the cellar. My phone buzzed again, this time from an unknown number. Has Desi found you yet? Give me a hand, I'm stuck. I threw the truck in reverse and started backing out. I barely kept it on the road, my phone buzzing the entire way. I got back on the main road, and I floored it back toward Valdosta. 
I didn't want to spend a moment longer than I had to in Valdosta. I was low on diesel, but I didn't want to stop again before getting on the interstate. I just wanted to drive as far and as fast as I could. But I didn't know when my next chance to fill up would be. As I approached that cluster of gas stations by the interstate, I could just put a few gallons in and then stop again when I was further up the road. But just before I made my turn, I saw something that made my blood run cold. The diner. The one where we'd met the girls, where we'd sat and talked while the place was half full of customers and staff. I'd tried to go there last night, but the lights were off and it looked closed. Well, it was closed. It was boarded up. It had been closed for a very long time. Once I was back on I-75, I let my girlfriend know that I was on my way and that I had a lot to tell her. And if I was lucky, I'd make it all the way home tonight, just in the nick of time, just before reset. I had more than a ghost story to tell her. I was going to tell her that I was ready for a change. I was ready for something a little more stable. Something where we'd be able to spend a little more time together. I think this is going to be my last long-haul drive. Whatever I'd gotten myself into, it didn't stop when I left Valdosta. My phone kept buzzing. When I stopped for Diesel a few towns up, there were more messages and notifications from Kyle, Emily, and Desi. All of them trying to get me to come back. I still can't explain what happened. I can only guess. But something wanted me to go back to Harvest Town. I know that much. And somehow, Emily and Desi could make us see things that weren't there. Like the date on my phone. Like the other people in the diner. Somehow, they'd made me see Kyle again. But Emily and Desi didn't know how drive time regulations work. So, they couldn't have known about my logbook. I thought about what Desi told me that night in Harvest Town. And to this day, I still think about it about a pair of lonely ghosts trapped in an abandoned town who just wanted a little company, a little excitement. I don't know what happened to Kyle after he left with Emily, but I have a feeling that she convinced him to go back to Harvest Town, her and Desi both. And maybe a long time ago, someone tricked them too. A part of me feels guilty for not going back for Kyle, but I know a trap when I see one, and I have a feeling that Kyle is beyond saving. He's a part of Harvest Town now. Besides, I have someone to get home to now, and nothing is going to stop me. My phone got quiet after I passed through Macon, then through Atlanta, over the Tennessee state line, and on my way down the other side of Jellicoe Mountain. I looked at the clock, two hours to go. I was gonna make it home in time after all. I let my girlfriend know that I'd see her soon, and then my phone buzzed again. I'd assumed it was her riding back, but when I stopped for my last refuel, I saw that it wasn't a text from her. It was a notification on the dating app. I'd forgotten to delete it. It was Desi. All it took for my blood to run cold was one sentence. There are ghost towns where you're from too.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you've heard, stop what you're doing, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been Harvest Town, written and narrated by me, Ian Epperson. Kyle was played by Zach Labresco. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Caleb Ritchie, with assistance from Bridget Howard and Brooke Jeanette. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville and Tattooed Fox. Thanks for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators, merch, bloopers, and behind-the-scenes content. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. Seriously, come say hi. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes. Bridget Howard wants to show you a ghost town. Thanks for listening. See you next month. Bye.